There are six places in the Bible where Jesus miraculously feeds thousands of people. It was when things had really picked up steam for him and huge crowds had started following him to hear what he had to say about the kingdom of God, following him because they wanted a miracle too, a cure for their pain, for their bodies, because they saw the signs that he was doing for the sick. The details change from story to story, but they roll up together. There's the numbers. They're a crowd of 4,000 or 5,000. They're a crowd where just the men got counted, a crowd of 5,000 men. And sometimes where just the men got counted, the story adds, besides women and children. 4,000, 5,000. In one story, they're sitting on the ground in groups of about 50 each, which seems very specific. It's from the book of Luke. The time changes. It's the end of day. It's almost Passover. They've already spent three days together with nothing to eat. The day is drawing to a close. How the whole thing starts. It's Jesus who notices that the people are hungry and has compassion on the crowd because they're like sheep without a shepherd. He has compassion for the crowd because it's been three days and they've had nothing to eat. Or, as Virginia noticed, it's the disciples who see that the people are hungry. And Jesus tells the disciples, you give them something to eat. There's talk of money, that six months' salary wouldn't buy enough food for all of them. Plus, they are in the middle of nowhere, and they're so hungry that they'd faint on their way to go home and get something, Miriam. Jesus asks, well, what have we got here? Go and see. And what they've got also varies. The people have five loaves and two fish. The people have seven loaves and also a few small fish. The disciples report in one story that in the whole crowd there's no more than five loaves and two fish, unless we're going to go and buy food for all these people. The disciples tell Jesus in one of the stories, there's a boy here who has five barley loaves and two fish, but what are they among so many people? And Jesus takes the five loaves, or the seven loaves, the two fish or the few small fish, and he blesses them, and in some case, he, cases he breaks them, and there is a great feast with leftovers, lots of leftovers, 12 baskets full, or seven baskets full, the amounts vary. And then Jesus sends them away. He, get back, he gets back in his boat, and he sails away. The book of John which always likes to put a really fine point on things, ends the story this way. When the people saw the sign that he had done, they began to say, this indeed is the prophet who was to come into the world. When I was a kid, growing up in an evangelical church, these stories were stories about supernatural miracles. Something impossible happened something that wasn't explainable by any natural or scientific laws. When I was a kid, Jesus picked up the actual bread, five loaves, seven loaves, however many, and actual fish, two of them or a little handful, with his actual God-manned hands, and he did some kind of close-up magic. Keep your eyes on his hands. And I wondered what it actually looked like what it actually looked like when the disciples started passing out bread. What actually happened? Did Jesus break the bread and then hand the pieces to the disciples and then they broke bread and gave out a piece and then that person broke it and they gave it to them? I mean, and then were the extras just the pieces that people didn't eat, like little hunks of leftover communion bread all kind of heaped up together? What did it look like, this proliferation of bread? And the fish seemed even harder to imagine with the bones and the bodies. 
When I was a kid, stories of supernatural miracles were part of what proved that Jesus was unique, proved who he was, proved that Jesus was also God. Precisely because the supernatural miracles were supernatural. When I was a kid, that little boy, even though he only shows up once in the book of John, he's the money. Sunday school teachers and children's Bible love that kid. He comes forward and holds out his meal tremulously. He comes forward boldly. He's, he's reluctant. He's idealistic. He doesn't complicate things. He just responds. The object lessons are endless. He acts with simple faith. He's drawn to Jesus. We should be like him. We should make a construction paper basket and fill it with construction paper, fish, and loaves. Look what impossible things God can do when we act with faith. And, and as I got older, I met more and more Christians for whom these miracle stories were just stories. It's part of why I used to hate talking about faith in terms of stories because it was always just stories, explainable stories, explainable by natural and scientific laws. Here's what happened in all those nice progressive Protestant church stories. When the disciples asked the people, do you have any food? They said no. They were tired and hungry and thinking of their meager supplies, which, okay, yes, they did have with them. They had a little something, but not really enough to mention. And so when they were asked if they had food, they said no. And the disciples panicked and told Jesus that everyone was super hungry. And Jesus, yes, felt compassion for them. He also knew... <laughs> a little something about human nature. So he had them sit down. He had them sit down in small groups so that they could see each other. And he brought up the one person who'd said, yes, I do have something, a kid. And Jesus took in his actual human hands, the bread, the fish, however many there were, blessed them, broke them, and shazam, people were so moved, so inspired that they dug into their bags for their little bags of peanuts and a protein bar they'd been carrying for a while and a little Tupperware full of grapes. And when they had it all spread out in the middle, there was more than enough. There were leftovers. And here house, here's how I felt about that story. With all due respect, Virginia, and everyone else who's ever told the story that way, here's how I felt about it. Womp, womp. Sad trombone, what a downgrade. Like, what does it even say about Jesus? If he doesn't do the impossible, is he unique? If all it was that night on the lakeshore was a magical night when everyone shared, is he God? Why, got out of, why get out of bed on a Sunday morning? Like, if all that Jesus did was inspire people to share... And that's like a really, really good kindergarten teacher who I respect. But telling stories about a really good guy, a really good kindergarten teacher, was not compelling to me. It didn't prove anything. The biggest miracle I've experienced personally is this. When I was growing up in an evangelical family, I used to joke that my parents would march in the pride parade if they lived to be 500 years old. That was their rate of change. When I was a kid, I grew up in a love the sinner, hate the sin family. My dad used to say that if someone held a gun to his head, he would say that homosexuality was a sin, which did lead to my imagining that my dad would someday get mugged and like when the mugger had him at gunpoint, my dad would be like, I think it's a sin to be gay. And the guy would be like, just give me your wallet, sir. Don't be a bigot. Anyway, they were conservative evangelicals. They had a kind of sad shrug about the whole thing. Like, unfortunately, this was their position. 
And then they started meeting LGBTQ friends of my brothers and mine. And my dad started to say things like, I don't think we need a law against people getting married. I mean, marriage is hard. Let them try it. Which is like not a perfect position on gay marriage, but it's better. And then my dad started to do a lot of community theater, which I think I've said publicly is a mixed bag. But he met way more people, way more kinds of people than he would have in his little conservative churches. And years ago, and these stories are so core to me that I've told some of them to many of you, years ago he stood backstage with another straight friend. Did you get a thank you card from James, the guy said to dad? Yeah, dad said. It was nice. There was a Bible verse on it, the guy said. Yeah, dad said. I guess so. That's right. I thought James was gay, the guy said. Yeah, dad said backstage. I guess, uh... I don't know, you know, some gay people are Christians, some Christians are gay people. When my dad told me that, I mean, that's small time, but I had thought that was impossible. My dad. And it didn't stop there. My dad started asking for book recommendations, book by, books by LGBTQ Christians, books by LGBTQ affirming Christians. And then dad had an hour-long conversation with Tony Campalo, who's this old evangelical pastor who, in his old age, he finally is speaking out about being affirming. And, and he talked to Tony, and then dad preached a sermon at his own church that made a visitor and his husband say, thanks for the affirming sermon, while they like vigorously shook my dad's hand at the back door. And dad was like, I wasn't sure I meant to be quite that affirming. But, and then at every step along the way, I tried to tell him how much it might mean to people, like not just the person who came out to him, to my dad, saying, I thought you might be a safe person to tell, but to that person's friends, and not just to the LGBTQ people in his congregations, he thinks there aren't any, but to people in his congregations with LGBTQ family, and not just to people where he lives in ruralish Pennsylvania, but to my friends here, my friends here, who hear that when my dad has changed, get tears in their eyes because maybe their dad could change. My dad thinks he'll be fired if he's openly affirming, but he is doing a really bad job of keeping it quiet. At a Bible study a few years ago, he talked about how the church has to love queer youth, and he quoted statistics about depression and suicide rates among queer youth. My dad, my dad. And then a couple of summers ago, he went to preach at a camp meeting in the conservative part of Michigan where we grew up, and he met with a bunch of old friends, among whom was a, a couple, and they told him that their 22-year-old son is gay and how they've struggled with that. And dad said, you know, I I didn't feel totally ready for that conversation, but I've been waiting, kind of eager. And he felt even less ready when the couple came back and said their son would like to talk to dad. So their dad is in the middle of nowhere. And all he has is a couple of books and a couple of conversations. And he says, yeah, he'll meet the guy. Dad's bold, he's reluctant, he's idealistic, he doesn't complicate things, he just responds, he acts with simple faith. And the guy tells dad his story, and he asks dad two questions. Can my faith be real? And could I be right that God loves me just the way I am? And my dad, my dad says yes. 
your faith is real. And God loves you just the way you are. It is a miracle. And it turns out it is also possible. I thought it was a downgrade from the impossible, supernatural, to the miraculous, comma, explainable. Or even from the supernatural to the simply magical. From unique Jesus to kindergarten teacher Jesus. But we live in a time, and we always have in our lifetimes, where there is plenty to go around. Enough for everyone to have not just what they need, but extra. There is now no need to scrimp, not among human beings as a collective, I mean. As a collective, if we turn out our pockets, there is enough that people need not go hungry, need not go without health care, need not go without love, need not be detained in camps, because if they come out, there will not be enough for everyone. There is always enough. But for us, for human beings as a collective, I mean, to share it, that would take a miracle. And what the stories told to me like this proved to me now is that what I thought was impossible is not. That things I can't imagine happening can happen. That what I can't figure out, how did she do that? That what I can't figure out is not only possible but learnable and teachable. Jesus, for me anyway, still does a kind of close-up magic that helps me see the bigger picture and what else is possible. He still feels compassion. He still tells his disciples, that's us, to feed the hungry and reminds us that there's enough. There are many, many ways that the story can unfold. As many gospels as there are gospel writers, as many miracle stories as there are people to tell them. And maybe it's always been the case that what's needed isn't the impossible, just the miraculous.